It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, Zero Time. So Grim, a lot of coaches and around the country guru, have it as Dan their goal to win a national championship in their sport. And most don't achieve that, the ones that do. Uh, it becomes a very memorable experience. And today we want to talk to one who quite literally just won a national championship. As we record this, it's just been a matter of days ago that uh, Dan Brewing at Stevens Institute, uh, his team won the men's lacrosse national championship for division three. And what I wanted to do in talking with Dan is just capture kind of what he's thinking now, review the process before it gets too far away from him. And he's graciously allowed us to, uh, to do that. And I think it's gonna be instructive for anybody that is building a program that is wondering, okay, how do coaches do it? I want to try to dissect it and have Dan talk about it, and we'll see uh, if there's something in there, and I'm sure there will be, that will work for you and your program as, as you build it and and uh, and do what you want to do from a goal standpoint with uh, with the team that you lead. So, Dan, first of all, congratulations, and I'll start. Let, let's jump to the end uh, with a very basic question that if I was, you know, and I'm sure you got asked by media afterwards, how does it feel? <laughs> it. It uh, it feels overwhelming. Uh, it's it's a lot to take in and synthesize and process because uh, for me the way that I lived it was was we really put horse blinders on to focus on things that we felt were signal. A lot of our conversations about signal and noise, and it's just like I told him since we sound like ninety seven percent noise, three percent signal, and the signal is the stuff that wins this national championship. So the way that it feels is um, that I, that I was mentally exhausted. I was emotionally exhausted. It was a challenge to sleep, not because of anxiety about the outcome. It was about um, a degree of anxiety about like, just put me in front of that now, but I have to wait a full day. We just won the semifinal. That was tough. You exhausted yourself preparing for the semifinal. You know, that's not going to be guaranteed. And then you have to wait a full day. And um, it, it felt like you know, after four hours of sleep on Saturday night, I, I kind of woke up like I went in my bed, I did some yoga, I got super focused, wrote some things down that helped put my mind in a good place. And then everything was just autopilot from there. To be really honest, we talked a lot about just like, this is just another day of volleyball. This is another Stevens volleyball match. We did everything the same. We didn't change much at all. We just had a little bit more time for scouts. But that was about it. And so when the final ball hit the floor and you started celebrating all that stuff, it just felt overwhelming because you were so in a process zone like this. And then all of a sudden that last ball hit and you're like, whoa, you know, and you see the emotion on the guy's faces, you see them crying and, and it, and it takes a while to shift the gear out of the same gear you always try to be in as a coach and just business to like, really? <laughs> so, yeah. so that's how it felt. It felt really overwhelming because once you open like this and then sent from a sensory standpoint and then an emotional standpoint, and I was really good about keeping my emotions segmented off. I, I probably do love this team. That's, that's like the word I would use. And so all of a sudden your emotions get a little involved in some things like that. You don't have to just sit there and make good decisions and observe with clarity. You know, you can just feel it again. So I, I think those are the best words I can use, but the, I've seen this with other coaches. There just aren't words as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, uh, as I introduced you, I mistakenly said lacrosse, it's men's volleyball, not lacrosse. So, uh, that's, I've been talking to a bunch of lacrosse coaches recently, no so I guess that's been on my mind. Um, so with that said, and we'll come back to the, to the end of it. Um, but I want to go back to the beginning. So I mean, a lot of coaches are in the process of either taking over a program or they're early in the development or, I mean, and then of course some have been at their school 10 plus years and they're trying to figure out the way to build something. Um, you work at a very, very specific, I'll even say niche school in terms of its academic profile. Um, how did you, when you came into to this situation, how, what was your plan or, or to the extent there was one or was one or how much was there just at the beginning, like how much of a, of a business plan did you put out and, and then follow it? Or was it just sort of reading and reacting? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, 
Both. It's just both. I, I think like anything, um, you're not going, you're not just listening and doing nothing. You're not just doing everything and not listening. So it was a little bit of both. There was, I started to realize, I always thought I was like a really, you know, I was an assistant coach. And I was always like the cool, accessible assistant coach. And I think a lot of us have played that role. And so I realized over time, I became really rigid on certain things, just like we will work hard. Like we will build relationships. They will be quality. There's a lot of stuff for me that was prescriptive that just wasn't, we weren't going to compromise. That was just going to happen. But the question was, how was, how and why and what, like, why should they want to do this? How is the best way then to do it? Because I took time to listen, to understand their motivations, And then what should we implement? So it was a lot of that. Um, I will share that it wasn't pretty at first. There was, um, you know, we, I came in literally right the January of 2021, 20, right? Yeah. So it was still COVID. And so there was just a lot of ugly things. I think everybody had a lot of mental health challenges. There was some toxic stuff going on with how relationships were managed on the team just because of COVID, just because like they're just, you know, they've been at home for a long time. So there are a lot of things to fix. So I wonder if exactly your question is kind of like, how did we get this ball rolling? I'm like, is that a direction? I sure. Go with yeah, that's a good yeah. way to say it. Um, I, I just, uh, there were some major problem areas. It was just like relationships need to really solve when you care about each other. We're not just here for playing time. I'll never forget this because we did play Messiah five times after this. And we played Messiah in the national semifinal to play for the national championship. Um, Messiah is a, is a faith-based institution that has a really strong sense of purpose and why. And I came into Stevens and all of our seniors left basically because just it was difficult to live in the area in Hoboken. They didn't know if they have an athletic season. So then we were left with all the younger guys. Long story short, we went to a conference opponent that um, was solid, but, but we were ranked fourth in the country and they weren't ranked. And we lost our first match of my career at Stevens. And I had been observing these things and thinking, well, like, maybe they're just gamers. Maybe it'll be okay. Like, I don't really know. We did win the second match. We were playing two matches in a day at that time. And then that next weekend, and we haven't lost at home since, but Messiah came in and gave it to us. They beat us twice in four and in three. And I remember being like watching our team and we're watching their team. And, and this will really connect to where I want to go with this. I remember just watching a team that was connected around faith, that was connected around shared values. I watched a team that was really tight. They, were, they seemed good with each other. They seemed friends. Prector couldn't pull them apart. And guess what? It wasn't our team. Our mm. team was just like, why am I not playing? I should be on the court. You know, and like this was clearly their value system was just like, I want to be on the court. You are important in the program when you are on the court. And so playing time was their thing. I just sat the team down after. And I just, I just, I said, guys, I'm just really sorry, but I just don't know why you're playing. I just don't understand your purpose for being here or for playing hard. And when it gets tough, I can't tell why you should go hard. I don't see it in you. And we need to figure this out fast. So we started with a sense of purpose. Like just what's your why? That was a big, big, big foundational piece for us. And the way that I institutionalized that, I always like to think of making something into a process was they're so busy doing rocket science. It's a STEM-based school, lots of mechanical engineering majors. That, I mean, uh, differential equations is the name of a course. Fluids is another course. We have to create mathematical equations to, to, to model how fluids move through with there's heat and cool. And, oh, it's crazy. So we start with three breaths before every practice, just to make sure that left outside, we'd be fully present. We could have bandwidth for practice. We could let practice bring us joy when uh, homework and things bring us stress and anxiety. And I thought that was a priority. The second institutionalized process was to, I needed to hear three things we were grateful for before we started practice. A lot of good research out there that being feeling, literally the feel of being grateful allows you to perform a little bit better, take some pressure off. And then we started talking about our emotions. I always finish practice. I still do today, which is just, questions that seem pertinent to the to value we can add. And so some of those questions were like, tell me, uh, we can't start practice until so three breaths, three gratitudes. I'd be like, I need three answers to this question. Um, how does fear of failure show up for you? And oof, that one was like three months of work. <laughs> Talking about the fear weight of like, they haven't been able to fail. I got a 4.0. I needed to be a, you know, right. rocket scientist. So like getting through that stuff and the emotional stuff was, was huge. And that was some some gr like 101 groundwork stuff. And um, so you talk about laying that foundation. What I can share is it's a little bit like Russian dolls. I'm just sharing the first layer. And then we just built from their emotional intelligence. We built the ability to be present in the, in the moment, which I think is a muscle you need to strengthen. Um, we got really good with our emotions, but we got even better with our thoughts that lead to the emotions. We could choose the thoughts that, that lead to the emotions that help us perform. And then we were just really iterative. That was just two years of being super iterative about it. So I'll kind of stop there. And, and I hope that illustrates a little bit the beginning. You know, we're talking about the end with the national championship, but that was the beginning. And there were just lots of iterations between. Yeah. The two.
I'm glad you're stopping because I have about 36 follow-up questions already, <laughs> but I'll try to limit it to one or two. Um, so a lot of coaches, of course, are centered in on building culture. Culture is just a huge uh, theme that every coach tries to define. Is you know, in recognizing, for example, what the other team had, and you were recognizing it wasn't present in the guys that you were coaching. Are you defining that for you as that building your culture? I mean, for are you defining sort of that cohesiveness and that sense of purpose as the culture, or? or maybe and what you're doing at practice, like the simple way you were starting to kind of release everything that had happened earlier in the day or the outside pressures so that they can focus. Um, are, would you define that as the culture of Stevens men's volleyball? Yeah, it's interesting. The Yes, yes. And I, I think language is so powerful. And I think that culture lost its, its, um, its concrete objectivity. So uh, yeah, my yes. And that's, sort of, and, and that, that's sort of why I asked the question because yeah. I think it has gone to my own personal observation, very, very high level, you know, thoughts and phrases that it's hard then to pull some practical, um, yeah. you know, concrete, you know, processes or like, here's okay, because of this, we're going to do A, B and C. And it sounds like you're sort of, you, you cracked that part of the code for your program. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. So, so it's a total yes and it's it's absolutely our culture. I think the way I think of it, the language I think most fleshes out in a, in an authentic way what we do is it, it's our daily mindset hygiene. It's our daily relationship hygiene. It's our daily check-in with our emotions. It's our hygiene around observing our thoughts. It's our hygiene around inserting and then removing thoughts that do or don't help. It's our daily hygiene around being, taking a look at how those thoughts are leading to emotions that do or don't help. It's our daily hygiene around our growth mindset about being like, there was a huge challenge. I freaked out because I thought I was going to fail and it was total fear of failure all over again. Great. Now it's our hygiene about um, having about how we interact with challenge. Now it's our, it, it, like to me, it's about what's like, how we can be hygienic as champions. How can we be hygienic champions in everything that we do? And it's a lifestyle. So it's absolutely culture. You know, this still is the definition of culture. It's just that I like I wanted to drill down a little bit deeper yeah, into what yeah, yeah. worked here. How long that that process of observing what was not happening and then putting some steps in place? How long did it take for that turnaround to happen? Where you started noticing that okay, now we do have this cohesiveness that they had. We do have this sense of purpose. We are adopting some of the you know, the, the mindset principles and strategies and practices that you were putting out, like, what was the, the, the turnaround time for that? <laughs> there is a, there, there's a, there's a demarcation point I, I can point to. Um, we, we really didn't have it. We were 10 and four in that first COVID season as a fraction of the season. Then there was a summer. I was very clear with them. I, I knew these things only went so far if we talked about them and did them in practice. I just said to them very bluntly, I said, here are some ranges for your lifts that you need to be in because I knew that was concrete. I knew, I basically said to them, if it, you should be showing up with your front squat, your deadlift in these ranges on the first day of practice. There was no, like you're on the team or off the team about it, but it was like, if you want what I heard you tell me that you want, because I took time to listen then you're going to be front squatting in this range given your year. And so I gave them a matrix and said, this is, you need to do this. And they, they did more work than I thought they would have done and more than I asked. And that was, that was one moment that I realized, okay, they're willing to do the work. This is going to be really, this could be quicker than yeah. I thought. The second moment was just that we continued to iterate and it kept feeling better and better. Just the feel of the culture was getting really good. But there was this moment we were getting ready to play Carthage, the two-time, uh, no, they weren't two-time defending national champs yet. They were about to be. They were the defending national champions, and we were like diary of a wimpy kid and hadn't really proved it to ourselves. We were like doing some cool things and feeling a little good. So right before that match, I'd never do this again, but I remember being like, oh, this is going to be tough. This team's really good. Uh, but I remember like, guys, we, we really need to break down the spirit of failure thing. I just, I need you guys to go out there and be joyful. And we started talking a lot about joy. If, if you really want to dig into joy, listen to um, – Steve Kerr talk about joy and coaching and joy and competition. That's really a good talk. And so I just told him, I really want to see joy, but I don't tell them what I want to see. I, I ask questions about what's joy going to look like today. When your old friend fear of failure comes, what are you going to do? And the guys had some great definitions that we beat Carthage in five as the defending national champions. And, and we were like, I don't even know if we were ranked at the time. That was a real demarcation point that we were starting to think 
and behave really well. And when I think about it, again, it's about observable behaviors. So like I'm flipping guys in and out, they're in the same position, the competitive, their competitors right. in practice, and they're not bickering. And they're just like, let's get this done. There were these demarcation points as I started to, it was observable behavior that I was like, that's looking much better. Um, so you brought up again, all two, two quick follow-up questions. Um, the first, I mean, you're talking about some very, sort of high level and psychological approaches to managing and motivating a team. Um, again, was this sort of all on the fly? Like I'm seeing this, I need to figure out something that'll work or were these philosophies, principles, sort of foundational things that you brought into this job? Yeah, it's both, both in that, like we have a handbook that defines all of this. I, I don't, I don't expect them to read it. I think they do. But I'm yeah. just like, you know, I'm like, hey, here's your like uh, manual, you know, or whatever. It, right. during, I'm very, I, I spend hours on that thing every year iterating it. it. What it really is, is a compass for me. And since I write it, I know it like the back of my hand. So it, it's more of a contract between myself and them. You should expect this of me. I should expect these of you. Wow, okay. This is the deal on the team. So I think that's number one is is powerful. Um, sorry, and can you repeat the question that I was going somewhere else with that? I lost the Well, just the, 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 the aspect of you bringing things in, you know, that sort of you, oh, you knew ahead of time in the you needed to do this versus on the fly, you know, yeah. picking out and finding strategies that would adopt, you know, and solve a problem that you were seeing. Yeah, sorry. So, yes. So the handbook is the compass. Sorry, I lost my track. Of, so the handbook is the compass, but the thing is you, you need to figure out how to get around the mountain in front of you, but you still need to head north, right? So that's being right. in the moment. And so a lot of it tr truly is just sitting there and observing and being in the moment and asking myself, like, is that an observable behavior that's going to be able to lead to a championship or is that a problem? And how can I deal with that? Um, so I, I hope that gives us some sense of context of how the two are married and help you navigate those moments as a coach. But some of it is, uh, it goes back to a Phil Jackson quote I really like from his book. Oh, gosh, how many rings did he have? It's called like 11 rings, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so he writes a book about this. And, and I think for me, the epiphany was, when I heard Ryan read Phil's book and Phil said, Hey, do you, you want to know what it was like to be the leader of the Chicago Bulls during their, I think it was like the fourth or fifth or sixth championship run. He was like, it felt like controlled improvisation, like chaos. And like, like well, we're going to let Dennis Rodman go to Las Vegas because it feels like that's what he needs to do. Right. We're going to give Dennis some space. So when All I right. heard that, you know, one of the goats is like, Oh yeah. So leading the Bulls, there was no formula. It was just me being in the moment, understanding people and trying to keep them on a road. Well, he had first, you know, he was clear in his manual and his team handbook on what he wanted to do. But then he also really knew Dennis and was just like, oh, I guess you got to right. go to Vegas and, and figure out the rest <laughs> later. Be you know? so, yeah. So I was, I'm sitting here with a bunch of like the best students in the country. And I'm like, okay, I could do this too then. Like, but I just need to be in the moment and know that I can't, nothing's going to be formulaic, but there's going to be principles. Yeah. Uh, and a real quick, you know, quick uh, follow up question to that. The the handbook that you have that you, you gave and now that's sort of probably one of the foundational pieces for your team developed before you got to Stevens while you were there, like where, or is it just sort of a fluid work of work of art that you add to and take yeah. away from constantly? The latter. Yeah. It's a fluid work of art that I, I add to constantly ever since I started the, my first, uh, I started a program from scratch didn't exist at Benedictine University seemed like a good idea. <laughs> seems like a really good idea to probably have that thing in there. So ever since yeah. then, I have been iterating it each and every single year. And it's just, uh, it, it's a work of art that just keeps going. To me, it's the way I see it, the guy, I know the guy, again, I know the guys don't like feel super strong about it, but it's like, it's literally my heart on a plate. If, if I'm, if yeah. my heart in, in pages, like this is why I do what I do. Um, yeah. And, and just for any coaches listening, Thing that has heard me harp on them to write stuff down and to chronicle how they're going to do their job, what you know, the handbook for their team. You've you've actually done it. So man, this is it's just fantastic. Mm -hmm. The other thing I wanted to bring up is you're making some some demands and you're doing some very high level things with Division three athletes. Um, and I hear a lot of Division three coaches, uh, all sports around the country that would say, I want my team to, to work hard, but you know, they're busy and they complain about having too much homework. And I just can't, we're just division three and we've, you know, we can't do what, and insert the, the name of whatever they can't do. And what I didn't hear from you was any of that, that actually, and we hear this a lot from the, the division three athletes we do focus group testing with is that sometimes they're frustrated that their coaches 
don't do more, don't demand more. And yet there's this feeling, well, it's division three and it's, you know, we need to give them their space. So you just went in and basically said, here's what the expectations are. You made it fair, but also clear and it worked. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering, have you had the same observation that I just outlaid about, about division three in general? Yes, I've, I've heard that. You, your focus groups are super accurate. It's just, it, it's a different space at Stevens. We actually have so little of their time because their academics are so rigorous and demanding. Right. So uh, I, I, I will say one of the things I'm most proud of is our athletic directors that survey through, oh gosh, I'm forgetting the name of it, but they, they'll survey the team to make sure that like, do they do like what your coach is up to and all these different things. And one of the proudest points is that our, our team is just having a really positive experience and the only negative yeah feedback we're getting in that survey was uh he's quite demanding he, he does demand a lot of our time however it worked <laughs> yeah. and so i remember you looking at me being like oh, i don't know if that's a problem <laughs> like, but i really i am on the other side where i'm like hey we're, we're gonna go for a national championship and they only have so much time um right. but it's also just a little bit of my dna like I, I played at a pretty high level after college i had a college experience i enjoyed we were national champions at the nai level i had a good time but i was kind of left unfulfilled so i played a sand doubles career that I was able to get on the AVP a few times professionally with my best friend in the whole world. And that was, that was one of the coolest things they were able to do. But we, we did it at a kind of professional level while he coached at Lewis University, who went to the national championship match in 2015 in Division One and Two, which played together. Lewis University right. in Joliet, Illinois, usually wasn't considered for that national championship. So he and I were both, we were practitioner coaches. So we just kind of knew what it took. So when I came in, that's why I was a bit prescriptive. I was like, this is just, it's going to work, you know, but I also wanted to be flexible. But Yeah. So you have this group, they have them headed in the right direction. Um, we get towards maybe the beginning of this season. Did you know that this group at this time, things had meshed enough that this could be a possibility at the start of the season? Or what was your, what was your mindset going in as you were evaluating your team? Um, where, you know, bring me to the start of the season. Yeah, uh, just a brief bit of context, and then I'll yeah. get straight to the heart of that answer, which is yeah, yeah. just that we finished the national semifinals in that year. We beat Carthage. They went on to win the national championship. We just we struggled to grow as much as we needed to, and I think that was just because of some physical and physical maturity and just competitive maturity that just kind of wasn't there. Springfield and, and Carthage were on another level, so we're coming into the season. A lot of those guys graduated, and it was in October that I realized we need to start we need to start talking about this. It needs to be common vernacular to say we are we're pursuing a national championship. The reason for that was uh, because I had seen what they did in the weight room again. And it was at a whole new level from that mm -hmm. first iteration of just being like, okay, now we are substantially strong and we can be big and physical with people. And that's, that's it. But like some of our sports like basketball, you, you got to go get super physical and just say, you don't get a score. Like I'm in the way and like, it's just a willpower thing and my body's right. big and strong and fast. And then they put it to a whole new level, which I had kind of challenged them with. And I saw that they had done that. I saw the commitment and I was observing behaviors. I was observing communication that told me relationships were in a good place. And then I saw how committed they were uh, in some of like the open gyms and extra lifts that they organized themselves. You know, it was just like, okay, well, then they really want it. And I made a few days of practice and I said, I need to begin speaking about this because it's a little bit of like a, a elephant in the room. But I was like, no, hey guys, we're going to go for a national championship. And my language was, it's probabilistic. And every day that we work a little bit harder, it goes from like 31% to 32%. And that's what we can do today. And it looks mm -hmm. like this. And then I would give them a concrete, like our out of system team systems must be better. They need to apex up and down and look like this. We can't keep chasing them sideways. And then they're so smart. They're just like, okay, can't go like this, like this. 32%, <laughs> got it. Right. Now there's direct correlations. And then I just kind of dangled it in front of their face for the rest of the year and just iterated that. Again, it was just an iterative process. Um, and I just want to point out, very directive. If you are leading them, it's not. Uh, I mean, there's a there's a little bit of very uh, a top down, but as you're doing that, you're reading what that top down needs to be. And I think uh, just an observational point: a lot of coaches they aren't observing some of the things. They aren't worried as much, maybe as as you focused on. You know, how are they feeling? How are the relationships? And yet. What I hear you saying over and over again is that was that's the driver for what you can do then in practice and on the court. Fair to say? Oh, 100%. So when you say that thing about, gosh, we wish our coaches would put a little more time or something like that, if, if that's a common thing in Division Three, well, I think conversely, sometimes it can be, gosh, I wish, I wish my team was a little more engaged, which I would go back to purpose. So right. it's a pyramid. You know, it's like Wooden's Pyramid, I suppose. And I, I've said that I'm, I'm not like a – super follower, but I, I just clearly a ton of brilliant. Why am I, why would I not like looking at that? But 
one of the things is just purpose. Like, why are we here? Just, just why are we here? And I think that why the heck should, why the heck should I work so hard on our out of system ball that I'm setting, looking, going up and down like this, and not like this. I'm like, because everyone has a national national championship. And do you see how hard everyone around here is working? So there's this momentum to the time put in during the summer yeah. where it's like, did you see how hard this guy worked all summer? Don't you want him to have a good look at that ball? And that's your job. And you can do that to serve this person you care about who's working so hard. And by the way, I've seen you do the same. Now the whole thing actually becomes joyful, you know, because it's like, dad, I like him. I'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so yeah. I, I hope that makes sense. It's a bit of a it formula, does. but it's also like you need them to put in the time. And when I saw them doing it, I realized I didn't need to be such a pusher. I could just point at the things they were doing. Right. Right. Well, and again, that takes that, that that Phil Jackson with the Bulls mode that he knew when to step on the gas and when to back off and you know let Dennis Robin go to Las Vegas or whatever. You know, he he had that 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 feel um, down. Uh, so you've got this process. The season's I'm assuming starting to go well. Every coach, every season has its challenge, its problem, little crisis that crops up. Was there any of that going on for you this season that you had to again? actively be aware of and then manage your way out of it and get them redirected. My goodness. Yeah, totally. I mean, this was not a smooth ride. There was, um, we, we had a lot of things. Uh, we had a little bit of misbehavior. We had some poor decisions that needed to be remediated. We were, um, we were missing a a chunk of our, like a, like a 30 to 40% chunk of our team for over half of our non-traditional training because of a poor decision they made. We had to talk about that. We had to talk about behavior um you know it, it was just you know it, it was actually a fairly just like they made one bad decision it was was actually fairly like low functioning but they needed to there were consequences and right. they lost some of their non-traditional seasons so actually you're funny i didn't think about this but i was like yeah we were like didn't get to train with the whole team most of the fall <laughs> still won a national championship i hadn't even had that thought yet i was like that's cool you know what yeah. does that say about character um but that, that was unfortunate it was really difficult we had a, we have a few guys with some unique identities and they they um they experienced some hate and uh, some of that got physical uh, one night and that was really hard to deal with. And we had to, you know, send them to our counseling and psychological services professionals. There were so many things and there were relationships. We had a young guy who was just, I mean, he was just a, a just a bulldog competitor. And I had to just figure out how do I get this guy to understand what we're doing? And he's 18, 19, you know, and he was awesome, but he, he filled a hole and we were beating numbers. So we started like four or five in the country. We beat like number three early and, with him on the court but like it was a little bit of ego from him and he slowly lost the ego and assimilated and that was a whole process that was just like banging my head against the wall you know so there were a lot yeah yeah we'll be back to the show in a minute but first have you heard about busy coach it's the organizational resource college coaches rely on from mandy green our trusted voice when it comes to running your program creating more time in your day and becoming a better leader After the podcast is over, head over to busy.coach and find out about all the tools she's giving coaches around the country. And now, back to the show. And so it sounds like, I mean, just like with any coach, any team, you're going to have the individuals that need redirecting or um, uh, just time and attention towards them. Uh, But you overcame it. And I'm just wondering, like, what... Do you have a process on uh, just sort of as a season uh, progresses? Do you have a process for sort of measuring where do you look at individuals? Where are they at? Okay, how is that affecting the team? How often do you do that? Like, what is your your process or your cycle? Um, From this conversation, I'm getting that you are very much in tune with where the team is at emotionally and where their head's at. Mm And that directly correlates to success on the course. I'm just wondering, how do you manage that? And where, where is the, how often does that occur? Maybe as you're going through and reviewing in your mind. Yeah. So there's like, you're just with the team and you're making observations and, and you're trying to judge things a little bit here and there and have conversation. But, but the, the formal process is qualitative and quantitative. So we do, we do a bit of an Anthony Doran style uh, cauldron. So the, the, the deal in our program is just playing time is earned. Playing time is earned and uh, we're here to help. So if you're not playing, don't look at me. I'm here to help. How can you and I tackle the numbers and get on top of those numbers, get you towards your goals? And I'm going to be that same advocate for your competition. And you need to know that. So that's a neutrality. I think it's important. That's the quantitative component. And you can also like some guy will have like a, a homework crisis, literally, because these things are so a personal crisis. You'll see the numbers dip. 
also, you know, that quantitative data can be like, how are you doing today? Can I help you with something? You know, because like they'll kind of keep it to themselves. Uh, so that's the quantitative. And then we're just very objective about we did a lot of research to ask ourselves the question of what wins in volleyball. But I asked that question while, well, doing, let's say your focus groups of a lot of high level B3 volleyball match. I asked that question. It's not it's not what a lot of coaches would think. It's the difference between your hitting percentage and their hitting percentage. And there's some inputs to that. So I see coaches focus on digs per set and kills per set. And it's just you have the wrong metrics. So we measured what we felt equaled winning. So that was actually very Stevens, very objective very mathematical very yes. endurance and then there's the qualitative side which was very like i just i want to meet with you about every third or fourth week and sometimes i have an agenda so much like how are you what's going on do you see anything i could do better for the team try to model some humility also just selfishly it's like i want to be better can you help me be better you know and like how how am i how are you going to care what i have to say if i'm like hey i need to be better on the court if i can be better and i'm not clear to, i'm willing to be better too Right. So um, those conversations contain a lot of things, just interest in their personal lives. And again, that goes down to just like earning their respect. Like I just, I think a fallacy in our society is that coaches immediately deserve your respect. I really think we ought to be earning it. And uh, for me, that's the quantitative and the qualitative. I could, I could go deeper into each one. There's a lot more nuance, but that is the answer. Yeah. Separate podcast, but I'll take you up on that. Um, the, um, yeah, I'm just wondering, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking the typical 18, 19, 20-year-old college athlete, as they're going through and you're leading them through or asking them very you know, psychological and emotional questions and everything, I could see some eye rolling. Um, and maybe that comes from immaturity on their part. Uh, and you're smiling, so you probably got a good degree of that at different points. But I, I guess for the coach, uh, coaches that are trying to do this and they don't get the immediate you know, accepting response that they want from their team, and so they abandon it. Well, that didn't work, or I, I'm not good at this. Like what would your message be to them? Because it sounds like, as I'm hearing you, I'm thinking this had to take over and over. Yeah, I know you think it's silly. I know you don't want to breathe out three times, whatever it is, but we're going to do it. And eventually that all of this led to this foundational process of being able to handle going into that environment and winning. What would your message to those coaches be just from your experience? My message would be that you need to pound the rock and uh you'll crack it <laughs> you'll get there um the other one is that um you need you need to model it like uh for, for me it was just these things work i think it had something going for me that i i had a, a a bit of a professional career i could point at you know for me that was like making like four to eight grand on top of my coaching salary which i was like good enough like i was out on the beach playing volleyball with my best friend you know <laughs> um yeah. but we we played a fairly high level and it was uh, my message was i'm living this and I'm also going to let you know that I'm also struggling with this and that it's difficult. And because it's difficult, other people won't do it. And that's why this extraordinarily challenging process will lead to extraordinary results because other people just won't be willing to do it. They won't take it right. seriously. And by the way, these things have just worked for me. If there are times, and I would tell them this bluntly, just and coaches think about it, right? We're people too. I just tell them, I, I hope from time to time I, I, I inspire you. I hope from time to time I seem like I really have it together. And if you observe that, it is because of these things. Um, right. There will be times you also see me struggle because what we're trying to do is very difficult. What I'm trying to do is very difficult. And I just tried to be a human and a person. And I told a million times, I prefer you call me Dan. Some just still can't. They're just like, coach, I'm like, okay, like whatever works for you. But I just think that when you put all that together and they see that vulnerability and then they t start taking their first three breaths seriously and they're like, oh, my God, I stopped thinking about my quantitative finance project there for a second. That was kind of nice. Yeah. Um, and that's the pounding the rock. So I think you, you have to live it. I just uh, better, better people make better all blocks. That was a really good saying. I'll never forget. And then the other one is um, there's some coaches at the D1 level who are just like, you just if you want your team to be better, you need to be better. Like your personal growth is inextricably linked to your team's growth. And to me, that has lived 100% true for myself. So I tried to do this. I meditated before this so I could try to be articulate with you, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, 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 it's fabulous. So let's jump to the, you know, the postseason. You're accelerating through it, and now you get into the final couple of matches. And I think as any coach who gets into a postseason would tell you, things move fast. Um, you're, you're facing a lot of teams maybe you don't have a lot of data information on. You haven't watched them like you do in your conference or you know, your regular teams that you're playing. Um, so take me through at the start, were you still thinking as you entered into the deeper parts of, of postseason, like 
it's moving in the right direction. We've got the shot. The and I'm wondering, like, also, what were your percentages up? What were we talking about with the team? You were talking about 31 to 32 percent earlier in the year. What was it up to as you got into the postseason? Oh gosh, I'll answer that objectively. It was yeah. 90, 95 percent plus, if I'm being honest, and that scared yeah. the, that scared me. It scared me because it's one of those things like you got to set a goal that scares you. Um, because there's now, that now you gotta, yeah, the, the expectation is you should you should be doing it because now it's time to execute because yeah. you believe that uh, you know right. and to me the belief was never a hundred percent if you would ask me yes or no do you believe yes absolutely no question give me a percentage 95 98 97 um, but but there's all these always this humility in me that um, there was this humility in me that like you you must respect the game you must respect that upsets happen every year for a reason. And that's critical. Now we're talking about execution, rubber on the road. So um, to talk that through just a little bit how the playoffs unfolded, we were number one in the country uh, going into like the last week or two of the postseason. We went to Vassar and played a team that we had beat earlier in the year that was now undefeated in number two. And we were the only team to have beat them. So you had number one versus number two. We had taken a loss, but remained number one. Carthage gave us a tough time at their place. And we lost and they, they had a really rowdy home crowd that kind of got us. We exhausted ourselves. We play a very high effort, high energy type of game. We lost that. And we just, there were clear things we could not be there. So now we're number two heading into right. playoffs. And so there, that I, I loved because I was like uh, objective volleyball thing, ABC, we could have just done in one and three. That was clear in my head for, I didn't lose sight of that for a millisecond, but I didn't care. It's an opinion poll, by the way, like, I don't right. like particularly... I respect my colleagues, but do I care about your opinion when I'm sitting there fixing ABC? That only no, I don't care about your opinion, right. uh, um, but I respect it. Now, on the flip side, it was like now we we won our conference championship, we did a really nice job, and the conference championship went up to zero in sets. You got to win best out of five, and we we're up thirteen eight in the third, and we kind of like let it slip. Now we're in a fourth set. We battled hard in the fourth set. We lost the fourth set, and then our team's back were against the wall. Like we might lose the conference championship going to this. We just lost to Vassar last week. So I, I want to share this narrative. And what happened was we we played nearly a perfect set of volleyball. Nine, zero, and 11. Usually you want to hit 300. We hit 800, 800 or 900. It was unbelievable. It, so that's when I started being like, whoa, we're really good. Had a light first round through a two seed. Second round, I got a share. We played a Wentworth team that, that just that just grind was grinding and beat us in the first set at home. And we're, we haven't, we're on like a, we're now on a 37 match home winning streak. We haven't lost since we lost to Messiah at home. We're like, oh no. And then we're down 15 to 10, Dan. So if you're asking me about belief, I wanted to frame this moment. You're down 15 to 10. This team is going career. They have a few guys who are actually as big and fast and strong as you, and they're playing their best volleyball. And your team looks like they're, they're losing belief and like this might be the end of the season. I got to tell you, that was a moment. And so there, there's a bit of a body of work where you need to use constructive delusion. And this was huge. So this leans on everything we discussed up to this point. And I hope coaches put like this little bookmark on this yeah. one was I, I just knew I was, ref I was like, I still believe and I refuse to lose. And by the way, we can go down to zero and still win. It's been done before many times, but I called a timeout at 15 to 10. I looked them square in the eyes and I said, I said, this is a five point gap that is objective. We can close that by you being in the moment, feet in the ground is a big cue for us. Put your feet in the ground, blue headed, blue headed is about like a psychological state with a lot of care, but I can just say that and they know what that means. And I said, we are going to do this. We are going to find a way to win this set and this is a, with aggressive eye contact with like those relationships in a good place, knowing they know how much I care. They trust each other and just said, but you need to change your body language. You need to get your blue head on and we need to work very hard. What happened after that, Dan, I really, this is a cool story. It's like 15 to 10. Uh, it was a 15 to four run. Wasn't even close. Oh. Wasn't even close. And then that just shell shocked Wentworth. They were and really there was a noticeable like, change. Like what you saw go back out onto the court, they had just heard and responded and they knew what to do because of all those little things that you had said as, as foundational teaching points. Yeah. And I want to be clear. I don't feel like a superhero in that moment. I really mean that. I don't. I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm like, this is what I see and this is who you are. And it's a remembering act. Let me remind you, let me remind you, this is who you are and you're better than this. And here's what it's going to take. And it was just cueing them back into things. Like I watched them all year. I know they need to be blue headed with their feet in the ground and working really hard. So to me, it's about knowing your team as a coach, if that makes sense. When you're asking me about yeah. belief, if you excuse me, these stories need to be told because this wasn't easy. Um, so we pulled that off. They couldn't recover from that. That was a win. Then we played Messiah again in the semis. They brought out like literally, I think they brought their whole church and university community. It was incredible. We were outnumbered like nine to one by fans. And our guys, they're all, again, constructive delusion. Our guys are just like, they're here to watch us because we're really good at volleyball. It's awesome, coach. And I was like, great. <laughs> if that's the story, run with it. 
and we were we were we were in a complete slow state for the whole time there against Messiah. And uh, North Central had some scary moments. They did really play us tough. But there's this moment where you just you have to believe. You have to believe, and you have to know your team, and you have to have lived it. And for me, it was just about continuing our lifestyle. So excuse me, that was a longer-winded one. If you're going to ask about yeah. belief, but it was tested, and you yeah. need to believe because the belief has you sit there with your back against the wall and say, "No, I have things I can do." But what I heard you talk about that belief and that yeah, moment of the timeout, that was a part of the strategy. And it wasn't just a, a rah-rah speech. You were drawing on things that you probably had taught them, many of them, two or three years prior, and now it was just you know plugging in the right you know the right mode to get their mindset uh, refocused. So that that was exactly. an incredible story. Um, going into the championship, you and I talked a little bit before this about the fact that. You know, you had to do some things as a coach to get ready. Because again, this is like a, this is one, you know, this is very, this is in rapid section. These aren't week, weeks apart. This is happening, you know, with almost no time to do any kind of real, you know, debriefing and take a breath. You're right on to the next, the next round, which, you know, basketball coaches, other coaches, and other sports can relate to that that have been in the postseason. What were a couple of things you knew you had to teach and do for yourself? Because we talked about how you've influenced the team, I'm just wondering now when you turn it inwards, mm. what what does what does Dan Bruin do to get himself ready for that type of an environment, that type of match, and the pressure of the expectation at you know 95 percent odds that we should win this? Yeah, I I knew I needed to be clear, like I needed to be clear with myself and peaceful inside. So I was confident in our processes, and I knew that. I knew I'd been a pusher a little bit all year and I was, I always identified like the fun relatable coach. And I was like, Oh, I can't believe I'm the pusher now, you know, <laughs> but I just could see mm -hmm. if I pushed, we were going to win. But I realized that, you know, it was that moment to let off and to celebrate them and to say, look at what you guys did with Wentworth. What does that say about your character? And then just not, if you're not at peace with yourself as a coach, and you think you have something to prove in that moment that they don't already know that they can't just explore. You're going to then give, say the answer. And that's not, that adds, in my point, I think of units of value. That's like a unit of value. But can I get you to say that? So that requires like you to have it together. And so I was just doing a lot of meditating. I'd get my workouts in. I was just, I was doing the same thing I always do. Sometimes it's just waking up late and coming in at 11 a.m. because we were just in the gym until 10 p.m. And right. like not stressing too much. I wasn't watching too much video. I was watching enough video. And so I was just doing things like, hey, what does it say about you as a team, if we came back from 15, 10 and never looked back and, and scored 15 to four, can you guys help me understand what that means? And then what, what, what happened there was the team defined their own identity going into the final four it was, was uh, one of the guys had a great quote. He was like, well, coach, I always talking about their friends, fear, stress, and anxiety. I said, well, like our friends are always going to be there. Like, it's fine. Like our friends come to support us. Right. <laughs> you know? And one of them goes, coach, it means we can dance with the devil. And I was like, yeah, we, we can dance with the devil. Fear, stress, and anxiety are going to be there. We're going to say, hey, man, take a seat in the corner. I'm going to do some super cool stuff. Enjoy the view. You know, like, don't fight them, but just make them your right. buddy. And so if I haven't done that and they see me super anxious, like, hey, guys, like, what are we going to do with stress right now? <laughs> right. That's not good. So that's what I was doing was I was just making sure that I was doing what they had. I was asking them to do. And to be really frank, it was experience, experience too. I was like, I, I've been here. I've been where you are. I know this is what it takes. So let me just make sure you see that on me if you're struggling to find it in yourself. And if I don't see it in you, I'll do a little special intervention on a few people, maybe where I'm reading fear, stress, and anxiety. But it just went really well, to be honest. It was just, it was a lot of good groundwork that w went into the final four that they just, they knew what I was getting at when I would ask those questions. Yeah, it's interesting because I think a lot of coaches listening to this would, um, and in different times I've got to coach in postseason in football, you tend to almost like, okay, now it's postseason, more work, more video, more review, less sleep. And, you know, in a lot of coaches, that's what happens. And what I heard you do was the opposite, where it was a realistic view of, you know, we were on the court until 10 or 11. I'm not going to, you know, we're not going to be out on the, you know, practicing at eight for this next, you know, this next match. And you're not going to do a ton of game review. You're going to take care of yourself and make sure that you're good that when you step out onto the court as a coach, you're in the right mindset, you're clear-headed, and man, what an incredible lesson. Did, is that just something instinctive that you learned, or did somebody else teach you that? Like where? Because that's not the, I have to say, that's not the normal college coach response to postseason. 
Yeah, I a huge advantage I'm really grateful for that I think I have is experience. So when you play sand volleyball beach doubles, um, I played since I was 18 until about 34, 35 at varying semi-pro to professional mm-hmm. levels. So I would start competing in, in tournaments every weekend. You have to play basically a single elimination tournament or pool play and then single elimination. Uh, I would play 14 to 18, 19 of those a year. And at some point those were, if you made it in the AVP main draw, there were 16 teams. That means 32 people in the country where you get paid to play volleyball and you're one of them. And I wasn't particularly good. Like I finished like 13th was my highest finish ever, but it was, it was an elite enough level that you messed all these things up yourself. And then when you mess them all up yourself, you start to really care about a team. You've messed all those things up and you've found the solutions and you've read a few books that um, ready made some turnkey solutions and processes that you're like, oh my gosh, I totally get that. And you're the expert with a PhD up at West Point. Like I can implement this in our team. You just, it's funny. This is how I became the pushers. I was like, this works. It's right. Like I'm just right. You know, and there's a, there's this confidence with that. And it's not an arrogance. It's just like, it's just going to work. I'm right. telling you, I know you, I see me and you, yeah. I'm not you, but like, I see that. And like, this will work for you. So we're going to do it. Yeah. And I just knew that like, you know, with the way that our guys are, they're so stressed and anxious all the time. It's like, we're going to need to manage this. And our strategic advantage coming in, like I was very, very deliberate about this to your question yeah. was that I knew there was going to be a lot of noise and pageantry and distraction and I knew that our strategic advantage was all the groundwork we had laid and that we would be focused. So when a coach asked their team to be focused, which is a very like one-on-one you know, statement from a coach, I mean, we've really drilled down into this. And I was just like, yeah, but we're actually going to be focused. Like we came to the banquet. Unfortunately, we were late. That wasn't my intention. There was a speech to give. I told the guys too late. I felt bad. By far the worst speech. Immediately in my head, it was like, we're speech best team. Like we're here to win championships, not give speeches. And I mean that respectfully, but like, and then it was at a place with games. And this is when I knew our team was really special. They gave us all these game pads. It was really nice. The host did such a good job that Stevenson did an amazing job with the championship, but it was at, a, at a, like a barcade. And so we're like, great, you can play all the video games you want. In our team group me immediately, all caps, noise, exclamation point. A second later, one of our guys goes, bus leaves in five. And wow. I was just like, wow, these guys are clear on their mission and they are appreciative of everything that is around us, but they are not messing around. And that was our strategic advantage with focus. And, and, you know, it wasn't like we just decided to focus that day and not play some video games. It was like, no, this was years of work of focus. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and again, direction from you, because had you given them, had you given that group or any other most, you know, most normal groups of guys that age, they're just going to go and and have, have some fun. And we might say, well, that's good. They're blowing off steam. They're not, you know, they're, they're relaxing, but they're maybe not focused and they learned from you that they should be focused. So um, I want to, last thing we'll talk about is you win the championship. Um, give me, a, a, if you can, if this is possible, a synopsis from that ball hits the court, you win, because you talked a, a little bit about that right at the start. And then a couple of days after, like what what's on your mind? Like a coach that wins a championship, um, from the moment it happens until a couple of days after, um, Kind of give us a peek inside of, of what, you know, what you did. Because I think a lot of coaches, the reason I ask this, Dan, a lot of coaches probably think, man, I want to win a championship. When I do, this is how I picture it. And any championship coach that I've talked to, it never ends up being the way they thought it would feel or, you know. So I'm just wondering if you could sort of bring us inside because it was very recent yeah. that it happened. Yeah, thanks for asking that question. It's, it's still fun to reflect on. I'll I'll back up just an inch just to say that we were just hyper focused. Like you had this this object to focus on, this result, you know, and your whole your processes are on it. And you just had this thing to focus on. And even in that last set, we were really getting pushed by North Central, and they're playing great, and you're still just focused on it. But you, what you don't realize is like you've been focused on it from a distance for years, but now it's here. Right. And so then that last ball hit the floor and everything felt normal up to that moment. You're just playing another volleyball match, right? Like everything's been very quick. Like you said, it happens very fast. That ball hit the floor. I will tell you the first response was disbelief that it was over. Mm. And I just, I just closed my eyes. I went like this and I just was like, what just happened? And our team captain from last year who helped me change the culture so much was standing next to me. And I looked at him and he looked at me. And it was just this, this, this joy, this like brotherly love joy. I just, I just grabbed him and I, it just squeezed him so hard. And what happened from there was just emotional. 
it was just seeing some of our most stoic, hardworking guys just broken mm-hmm. down to tears, seeing them all hugging, seeing the joy. I said, there was no thought of yourself in this moment. Right. There was this complete absorption in the best way of team of like, look at what we did. It's here. It just happened after years of hard work and breathing like a weirdo and like think, talking about our emotions and our thoughts and how they're connected and just like hard work late at night and just watching them just like experience these extraordinarily this magnitude of emotion that they've never experienced before as young men i just started to stop and just look and breathe deep and be like look at you all look at what you did look at your emotions breathe this in have this experience and just be here because this is something else and so it was like horse blinders and then all of a sudden you're like this and you're like whoa like look at what just happened and then what happens next is that was a deep, it was a really intimate experience for us to, to be that focused, to, you know, go to the, go to the banquet and try to like figure out how to give a speech, but try to just be focused on volleyball. And like, you got to know each other so well, but what you don't realize is even at the D3 men's volleyball level, it's like, there's this community of people that were really excited for you at our, at our institution, our families, their club coaches. I had 240 text messages after that took me five days to whittle those down. I just did it yesterday. Like the 240 and I remember being like, the world watched this, like people cared. And, and again, like we like, we like the saying 500 million people in China don't care. Like I suspect no one in that country knows what we did. Right. And that's fine. Like, that's okay. But you just have this really intimate experience with these guys and your community is so excited for you. Then there's this flip of like more work to do that you're privileged to do, which is to share it with those communities that care about your team. That's parents, that's alumni, that's recruits. We had really great recruits, right? So to, to your expertise, I was like, Next day, I was like emailing all our best recruits, like, here's the link when you come to campus, like, love to see you on campus soon. You could be part of something like this, you know? <laughs> so you, you then flip to sharing it. And then all of that's exciting to share with the community and the community wants to talk to you about it. The next morph. So, right. It was just there with the guys. This was a huge transformation. The next one starts to go like this, which is like, I finally got to sit on the couch for four hours and watch Netflix with my wife last night. and It was delightful. And I just, I'm looking forward to going back to the grind. Like I enjoy grinding. I enjoyed the process. I want to get back to the process. I want to do it again. It's going to be tough. And yeah. now you're just kind of like doing back to business and you actually are like, that's awesome. That was ours. And we're sharing it with the community and now I'm ready for life again. Um, and then you, and then someone like you asked me to reflect on it and I'm like, I'm still the same guy. Like that was just really cool, you know? And like, right. I'm just happy for the guys. So I, that's right. I'd bookend it. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's fantastic. I mean, there's so many things that you did and lessons that you passed on to your team that I, I know coaches are going to steal and try to duplicate, but that's what, you know, I think coaching is all about is you share ideas and how you did and you grab things from other coaches. So Really appreciate you sharing, and there were that went way into the process down to a very granular level that uh, I appreciated just listening to it. Um, and again, I could probably talk for another two or three hours because I've got like other follow up notes that I've been making as you've been talking. So, but that's for another time. Um, congratulations, thanks for sharing and and opening yourself up because a lot of coaches wouldn't be willing to do that and so many good things i mean there's no necessarily right or wrong way to go through and win a championship uh but i'm gonna i'm gonna put this clearly in the class in the category of a very deliberate process oriented um uh structured way of 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 doing it the right way so man congratulations coach thanks for giving our story a forum it's, it's a privilege to share it College Recruiting Weekly is a production of Tudor Collegiate Strategies, copyright 2022 through 2023. To contact the host, email him at dan at dantutor.com. And do us a solid, coach. Rate and review our podcast right now. Plus, it wouldn't kill you to tell your fellow coaches about it, would it? So do that, too. And stay tuned for the next amazing episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. Oh.